stay with the coach. Day twenty radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. Broadcasting from Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natil. And I'm Sam. This week we'll cover the latest Pokemon news, turn the spotlight on the Crabhammer Pokemon, and take a look at what running a Pokemon League is really like. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotom what it wants. Hey Sam. We are totally recording live from CoreCon. Yes we are. Uh, the CoreCon is an event that's going on May 4th through the 6th, and it's a anime, sci-fi, video game, everything nerdy convention. It's here in Moorhead, Minnesota, and yeah, it's really cool so far. We've had some super awesome things going on at CoreCon, and for our Pokemon Chatter this week, instead of talking about what we've been reading or what we've been doing, we're going to talk about CoreCon. Last night, we did this super awesome thing called the Sumerian Gym Challenge. Yes. Now, what does Sumerian mean again? I you explained it out to me once before, but what is it? What is the reference? It's like a thick, all-encompassing darkness. What language is that from? I, it's just—it's just a word. It's an adjective. Oh, it's just an adjective. Yeah, it's an English adjective. It just—it's it, one of those crazy words like Stygian, which also means a very dark, penetrating darkness. Why don't we use these words more often? Because people are terrible, and I suppose. <laughs> But yeah, it was really cool. We set up a bunch of curtains in here and turned down all the, we turned down all the lights. We had little uh, tea lights that our friend Scott brought that had these paper cutouts around them to give the room this super dark and ominous look. It was super fun. We were we were literally a live action dark type gym, and we had probably thirty people come through last night challenging the gym, and only eight of them got the badge. Yes, it was pretty exciting. It was awesome. Uh, A couple of the other things that we've been doing now today, yesterday pretty much all we did was the gym challenge. We did that for six hours last night. Yes, but it was totally worth it. It was. It was the most fun I've had in forever. Uh, And today we are doing some awesome things. We've got some panels going on. Yes, we are doing some panels on IV breeding and EV training. We're going to, and we're also doing a panel on TCG deck building, right? Well, we we tried. Unfortunately, no one really came to that particular panel. But, you know, maybe if we can squeeze it in again later tonight, we can try if we've got the interest. True story. And we're also running a couple of tournaments, too. Two tournaments. We're running a TCG tournament, and we're hoping for a good turnout there. And then later tonight, we're going to be running a video game tournament. And that one we've actually got a whole lot of interest in. Last night when we had people coming through the gym challenge, there were lots of people that sounded like they were going to come through for the uh, video game tournament. Which is super exciting. It really is. And since we are going here live at CoreCon, we are going to head right into Pokemon news because we want to get to this main topic. We have a special guest. Stay tuned. 
And welcome to the news desk. We've got just a few things that we want to talk about here today. Most of them are reminders. The first being a reminder that the Dark Rye Wi-Fi event begins on May 9th. So you should get out there and get your Dark Rye like as soon as it's available. Yes, it is going to be all kinds of epic. True story. We've also got a the Dark Explorers set releasing also on May 9th. It's going to be coinciding, of course, with the Dark Rye event because Dark Explorers is being is the themed after Darkrai, am I right? Yeah, the main Pokemon on uh, being featured on, like, the box art is an epic Darkrai. Yes, and I think they're going out with a... They're doing a collector's set for it, too, right? I don't know if there's going to be a... There's, there's not going to be a Darkrai box, okay. I don't think. But there is that new Q-Rim box coming out that we've oh, talked about. Nice. Um, the other reminder that we have for today is that the registration for the Spring Friendly Tournament ends on May 9th. So if you want to enter the Spring Friendly Tournament, you need to get your stuff registered and your team ready to go before May 9th. Uh, otherwise, we also have another bit of huge news, actually. Big the, news! The Pokemon Global Link will be getting updated with info for Black and White 2. There's tons of new things going on with the new PGL. The first thing that's happening is that there are going to be new Pokemon and new areas available. We Which have, is super exciting. Yeah, they're, they haven't said like what areas are going to be available and what Pokemon will be available in these areas, but... For sure, for sure, we're going to be getting 5th gen Pokemon because they're not going to release, like, a third game for Black and White. There's not going to be Black and White 3. That would be silly. I don't know. I think I'd buy that. I would buy it, but it would be a little (laughs) silly. (laughs) But, yeah, the time between sessions is also reduced to 20 hours now. And while that doesn't seem like a huge deal since since right now it's at 24 hours... That's still super exciting for people because you can set up a time where you're going to be entering into the dream world and you don't have to worry about waiting until that exact same time the very next day. You have a little bit of flexibility as to when you can sign on to the dream world as opposed to now where if you have to go out to like walk someplace to use the internet or if you are crunched for time, you kind of have to time yourself out to make sure you can keep connecting to it at the same time every day or you have to wait an entire day extra just to let the clock reset. Yeah, so this will give you a little more flexibility in your dream world using. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Something else that's happening, which isn't, like, vital to the way the dream world works or anything like that, but the PGL is getting this awesome new, like, realistic look. Like, right now when you go on and you look at the world, it's kind of cartoony and weird. Yeah. It's, like, almost photographic in the new way that it looks. Oh, really? It's really cool. That's awesome. An unknown promotion will also be available for trainers with both black or white and black and white, too. We don't know much about it yet, but I'm sure that once we find it out, it's going to be pretty epic. Yeah, they they have confirmed that there's going to be some sort of extra thing that you'll get on the PGL if you have both the first game and the sequel Nice. hooked up to the PGL. So what that is, no one's sure yet, but there is going to be some sort of incentive for those of us that have the old games to get the new game. And that really is about it for news this week. It's kind of a light news week. We don't get to talk about the Dark Rye because we don't have the Dark Rye yet. We don't get to talk about the TCG cards because we don't have those yet either. But next week should be much more awesome for news. Yes, once we get them, we will definitely talk all about them. 
And with that, we are going to head into our main event. us on the podcast today is a guy that we've actually talked about pretty frequently on our cast in the past. We've talked about him in Pokemon nicknames. We have talked about him when we've talked about E4 tournaments. Yep. Uh, we have with us today our league leader, Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hey, everybody. So we are going to talk to Josh about what it's like to run a league, how he got started, and pretty much what it takes to run a Nintendo-sanctioned league. So what what made you decide that you wanted to start a league, Josh? I love all aspects of Pokemon I have ever since the day it came out. And really, I mean, I just wanted to have a place where my friends and I could get together and play Pokemon without just being nerds and sitting in my basement. Basement nerds are cool, but not as cool as sanctioned leagues. True story. <laughs> True story. So I think I remember right, You, we actually had a league in Fargo-Moorhead, and it was out of the library in downtown Fargo, is that right? In West Fargo. West Fargo. Actually, yes. Okay. And how did, and you were, were you one of the original founders of that? No, I came in, they had been around for quite some time. Okay. Um, when I moved into town, into Fargo for, well, the first time, I guess, I decided that I wanted to try to find some people to play Pokemon with. They had the league, I showed up, and after going to their league, I decided I needed my own, because they were very big into the TCG, which at the time I started the league, I didn't do much of, so I wanted to get a DS league going, and that's kind of what spawned me. So when you decided to start a league, how did how did you go about getting that you know, sanctioned and making it official and stuff like that. What are the steps for that? It's actually really, really simple. If you just go to Pokemon.com, they have a page where you can look up local leagues, and on that same page there is an option to start your own league. And Pokemon loves having multiple leagues in the same city. A lot of the stuff I've read just on the Pokemon.com site says instead of taking over for another league, they would rather have you start a new one so that we have more people getting into the game and more ways for people to earn their prizes at league. That makes sense. So once you've you've got that done, I suppose there's other important steps. Like once you've got your sanctioned league, you've got to do things like find a venue and get people coming. How did you go about doing that? The venue was actually pretty simple, too. Um, There are very few comic book and gaming stores in the Fargo area. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I called them. Um, There was one guy who wasn't very interested, so when I called the next place, he loved the idea, thought everything about it was incredible. We started the league off there. We were there for about six months before we just got too big for the location. And once we got as large as we did, the original guy who had turned me down knew how amazing we were, so he was more than happy and more than willing to allow us to use his venue, which was much larger and able to support all of us. Nice. So for people who uh, are looking to start a, a league of their own, if they're looking for venues that you think they should start with like local comic and game stores? That's usually the best bet. Um, uh, one thing I have done, too, is you can try calling the local game stops 
stores like that. They don't have a venue to do things like that, but they will know of locations that do. So if you're in a smaller town and it's harder to find something, there is always that option. There are always libraries, too. A lot of libraries have free rooms for people to use for nonprofit things. Sure. How did you get people to start coming? I met a few of the people that were the initial league runners at the previous league. And when we started, we made business cards for the league. We left our phone numbers. We left our email addresses on these business cards. Everywhere I went, I wore a Pokemon wristband. I had my Poke Walker on my bag. Like, I was Pokemon up. So whenever anybody brought it up, I would talk about league. And we, even after being as large as we were at the first venue, we grew leaps and bounds moving to the second one just because we had, people saw us. We had our name out there, and we were getting new people to put our name out there. That is super cool. So for running a successful league, would you say that, well, you already touched on having, spreading spreading it by word of mouth or by advertising. Uh, Would you also say that uh, being able to start up new kinds of events and keep things, keeping things fresh and interesting is also a big thing? Yeah, I mean, any game you're playing, anything you're doing, it will get stale after a certain amount of time. Um, The way we do some of the things at League is we are constantly changing. None of our tournaments are the same two months in a row. It's true. When we have our League nights, we have people that dabble in both video game and trading card game, and that also keeps it fresh because you have new people to fight every week because they'll transfer from one to the next. Um, We do the Elite Four Challenge which is an incredible thing. That's something I'll probably let Sam talk about a little more since he's been (laughs) dubbed the Elite Four champion at the league. (laughs) Yes, um, our Elite Four tournament that we have, we've talked about it before on the podcast, is we have it where anyone who has a DS and a copy of Black and White can challenge our version of the Elite Four, which is four of our best video game trainers, and we are all we all have teams that are monotype teams, just like they are in the video games. And for beating now two out of the four players, which is by no means an easy feat. Not I mean, even a little. <laughs> even though they're monotypes, some of our trainers are incredibly powerful with their monotype teams. But if you beat two out of the four, you get to fight the champion, which would be me, and I get to use whatever kind of Pokemon I want, but usually I run a monotype dragon team, and that team by itself, you know, even though most of them are dragon flying and they're quadruple weak to ice, it's super hard to beat them. It doesn't matter. They're stupid good. (laughs) (laughs) And the neat thing about this E4 tournament is that um, it's one way that uh, Josh has sort of figured out to get people to earn extra points when we're playing. Um, Tell people about what, what play Pokemon points do for people that don't have a Pokemon League. Okay. Um... If you're running a Pokemon League, what Pokemon does is every four to six weeks, they will mail you new stuff for your League members. So they keep a tally of how many people you have at League. They mail you enough stuff so that every person at the League can earn up to eight cards as prizes, eight TCG cards. And at this point, we're now doing the Metal Gym Badges again. Once a player completes eight battles, they're able to get one of each of the two cards. Or, yeah, one of each of the cards. And then once they complete all four rows, getting the cards after each eight, 
they are able to earn the badge. And this works for both video game and TCG to earn these prizes. Nice. And one thing that I've been looking at on the Pokemon website, and I think that you could probably shed a little more light on for me personally, was uh, earning points for use on the website. How do you go about that? Okay, if you have a Play Pokemon account, okay, you are able to go into your own personal settings, and there's an option for the Play Pokemon Rewards, is what I believe it's called. Every league you attend during a specific season every tournament you attend during a specific quarter will earn you points towards play Pokemon rewards. And what that is, is that's something completely aside from league. Okay. I give you the prizes at league, but Pokemon will mail you packages with, depending on how many points you earn, uh, hollow foil energy cards for the first step, hollow foil energy cards, and promotional trainers, supporters typically as the second step. The third step, and I think this might be the final step, uh, is both of the first two items, and you get 60 deck sleeves that are unique to typically that season. So these would be unique to black and white version of the cards. That's really cool. Um, Are you also a Pokemon professor? Because I know that that's a separate thing from setting up a league. I I am not a Pokemon professor. I have taken the test twice, and they have too many of the old cards in there. I I didn't play TCG for many, many years, and going back and trying to figure out the abilities and the attacks on these cards without actually knowing the card, like I know a lot of the new ones now, is very difficult. So do you you feel like maybe uh, being a Pokemon professor is not necessary to have a successful league? No, not at all. You need it for any of the sanctioned Pokemon tournaments. I shouldn't say sanctioned. Any of the premier Pokemon tournaments. You can sanction a tournament without it, but any premier event does need to have at least one Pokemon professor. Typically, that would be the league owner or Mm -hmm. a league leader. And that would be to just act as a judge for card games, basically. Exactly. Okay. Um, So other than the Elite Four tournament, which we kind of just... Or the Elite Four challenge, which we kind of just talked about, what do you think makes Pokemasters of Fargo a unique Pokemon League? I think it's our people, honestly. I mean, we've got kids from six years old to parents who come with their kids but actually play that are in their mid-40s. So everybody is going to have somebody to play with. We have all different types of people from all different types of places. <laughs> and it's, I think, the only way these people could ever connect in a lot of ways is through this Pokemasters. Because I'm going to be honest, not everybody in that room would be friends without Pokemasters of Fargo. It's, it's just true. the way it is. Very true. So we do have just an incredible group of people. I think having the Elite Four challenges, having new tournaments, new challenges, whatever they are. Less, this last Thursday at League, we had one of our League members, not a leader, decide that he just wanted to throw together his own tournament. Mm-hmm. So he ran his own tournament. A lot of people like you know participated and enjoyed the tournament for what it was. So we just, it's mainly the people is what makes it good, but getting the word out there and getting the people is the first step in doing that. True story. Well, I think that's all the questions we have for you about being a league leader, but since we have you, I think we're going to drill you a little bit, because we want our, our audience to know more about you as a Pokemon trainer. Tell, tell us, what's your favorite Pokemon? Umbreon has always been since Gen 2, but now he's in a very, very tight tie 
with Scrafty. Oh, I'm guessing, does that mean that Dark is your favorite type? Yes, and that's why the Sumerian Gym Challenge was the Sumerian Gym Challenge, because I needed my Dark types. Josh was our gym leader. Yes, he was. Um, who's your favorite gym leader, like, in the games? Do you have a favorite gym leader? That is a tough question. Um, I always liked Brock. He was a joke, but he was the first one, and I loved beating the snot out of him. (laughs) So I'm going to go with Brock, and he's a ladies' man. And everybody's got to love a ladies' man. (laughs) How long have you been playing Pokemon? Since 98, when it came out. Back in the day. Actually, I'm going to have a little story for you guys here. Oh, we love stories. I thought that Pokemon was for little kids. I'm a little bit older than most of the people in this room right now. And my little brother was the one who got me into Pokemon. He got to the Team Rocket hideout in Pokemon Blue and could not beat a couple of the trainers. So he asked me to help. Being the gamer that I was, he knew that I'd be able to get him past it. I gave him $25 and told him to go buy a different copy of the game because I wanted his. And I took it. I restarted the game, and I have been an addict ever since. That's awesome. Have you ever skipped a generation, or have you been just 100% all the way through? Every single time a game has come out, I have bought it. I've had every version. I've had both copies, gold and silver, crystal. I've always had multiple systems that I can trade with myself because my friends were not as cool as me when it came to Pokemon. I know, right? (laughs) So you were way back in the day doing the t- trade by cord and doing oh, all yes. of yes. Oh yes. I remember the cords. Yes. Though they were purple and ugly as sin, but <laughs> yes, they were. Had to get the extender ones so that we could play in the car. Yep. Very nice. That is awesome. We are actually going to uh, probably wrap up our discussion with Josh here on running a Pokemon League. If you have any questions or comments on this, you can always email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. And we are actually going to head to one more segment in which Josh will be joining us. It is time for Halfway Through Viridian Forest Without an Antidote, because even League Leader Josh has some poke angst. Tonight we are going to talk about what I think the three of us can all agree is the scum of the Pokemon Earth. That is Pokemon Hackers. Pokemon Hackers are scum. They are. We, we all really hate Pokemon Hackers. Josh, tell us, tell us about Pokemon Hackers. What do, what do people do to hack Pokemon? They get lazy is what they do. <laughs> True um, Action replay. I mean, it should be banned from all stores. Anybody owning one should, and I don't know if this is okay to say on the podcast, but should probably be shot. <laughs> it's just the way it should be, honestly. Because really, it's, it's just something that ruins the game. I mean, Pokemon is all about building your Pokemon. Having my Umbreon come out into a fight four perfect IVs, the other one that's not quite perfect being almost perfect, and then go down to something that has six perfect IVs, the right nature, and pops out in a cherish ball. 
It just drives me nuts. <laughs> well, and the thing about people that hack Pokemon is that they're not, like you said, they're lazy. They're not spending the time to build these teams. And it sucks for all of us who do spend all of this time pouring our, our hearts and souls into these Pokemon that we have spent, you know, minimum four hours working on. Minimum. Like, bare minimum. That's like... Everything has gone so well. The Pokemon gods have smiled upon you. You have earned their favor. Here's the perfect Magikarp. Here's your yes. perfect rattled Magikarp to form your Moxie Gyarados. No, you don't need to evolve it. Just oh, leave just, the Magikarp. Just, just rattled Magikarp. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> but I mean, we've we've had experience with hackers even at our league. I mean, we're we're even though all three of us just hate hate action replays, we can't escape it. No, you can't get away from it. There are always going to be people that claim that they have too much schoolwork and that their job is taking too much of their time. They don't have time to breed. Yeah. So they're going to find the lazy, easy way out. And it's unfortunate because you get so much more satisfaction out of breeding and training your own Pokemon that you used, which is kind of disappointing in a number of ways because... You you almost you feel disappointed because you're fighting Pokemon that you know you didn't that you know haven't had the time and energy that were put into them that you had, and you also feel a little disappointment that they aren't that they're denying themselves the ability to get as good a Pokemon as you and feel that satisfaction of I created this with my brain. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't I can't imagine hacking a Pokemon as nearly as it, it doesn't feel that satisfying. I mean, I've got. This super awesome Alakazam. I love my Alakazam to pieces, except for when I'm fighting Scotty, who is also in this room. Every time I fight Scotty with his Alakazam, he takes he takes like a focus punch to the face and just dies. There's there's no help for him. But other than with Scotty, my Alakazam is fantastic. And I spent, you know, two days hatching Dreamworld Abras and putting in all the time and effort, and now when I battle with him, I'm just super excited to use him. I think if I would have hacked him, it wouldn't have been nearly as... It wouldn't be as nearly of a satisfying experience, because it'd be like, oh, well, you know, I spent five minutes pushing some buttons on this action replay, and suddenly perfect Alakazam pops out. You know, you mentioned that, and I actually have some experience with that. One of... A friend of one of my friends hacks his Pokemon, hacks every last one of them, and he was talking on Facebook to my friend Richard, and it was like, and he said, oh, well, you know, I don't need to breed Pokemon, I can just make them up in five minutes, and it was, you know, you almost get a sense that, okay, so you're not doing any of the work, and you feel that all you can do, all you need to do is push a bunch of buttons, and you've instantly got a team that can destroy anything. I mean, you can... Literally, it can take you five minutes to make a Spiritomb that cannot get hit by any type of attack. And you all, it's, I don't know, it takes all the competitive spirit out of the game because all it's reduced to is just who can have the better program to make a better broken Pokemon. And it's super, de- it's super depressing. It really is. People that do that, I think, miss the point of the game. Definitely, yes. They, they have no idea what it really is about. They play the game to beat people. They don't play the game... I mean, Pokemon to me are almost as real as real life. <laughs> I love all of my Pokemon. They've mentioned on other podcasts, I nickname every single Pokemon I hatch. Because they are mine. I love them with all of my heart and all of my soul. Yeah. 
and fighting these people who just don't care isn't satisfying for me because typically I still beat the action replay guys, but I know I'm not beating a team that really matters to anything. And that's exactly it. It's it's not like you're using these Pokemon that you've worked so hard on against somebody else that has the same ideals about Pokemon as you do. And when you get to this point, when you get to the point that you're as competitive as the three of us are, it's really about that competitive spirit and that deep feeling that you have about your Pokemon. Because otherwise, you know, there's no point in it anymore. When you're just playing it like, you know, you've, you've plugged your action replay in, you popped out your team. It's like, you know, buying a crappy new chess set and going down to, you know, the awesome, the most awesome chess group in the world. And they've all got their really beautiful chess sets and they've spent all this time on it. They're going to look at you like you're absolutely, absolutely crazy. It's the same thing with Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I don't know. It's, yeah, hackers, man. I don't know what to do about it. You know, it's almost like you're, if you're, when you're fighting a Pokemon team and you're at, you know, the same kind of level as we are, you almost feel like you're not fighting the Pokemon, you're fighting the trainer, and you've got this, like, deep connection. I know you, a lot of people talk about it in poetic terms, but, you know, that's kind of what it is. And when you're fighting a team that you know to be hacked, you just feel... I don't know, you almost feel robbed of any satisfaction, and it's it's a tough feeling to have. But, you know, the meme is already out there for people who will have action replays or they'll have access to a DNS server or, you know, any of the, you know, Pokesev, anything like that. And, you know, people, if they need to take the easy way out, they will hack their entire teams just to win Pokemon. They aren't going to do it just to battle other people. It's to win Pokemon. It's so funny that you say to win Pokemon, because, you know, the the point of these battles is to win, but it's not in the way that, you know, it's it's different than trying to win at Pokemon. I mean, winning at Pokemon is this idea that all of your Pokemon have to have all perfect IVs, they have to have the absolute most perfect moveset, which typically involves going to Smogon and copying down a moveset from Smogon onto your hacked Pokemon and just going from there. There's no free thinking, there's no creativity, there's no out-of-the-box work, it's just all cookie-cutter Pokemon, one after the other, and they're absolutely perfect in every single way. And to me, that's, that's not winning Pokemon at all. I love to see Pokemon with unexpected abilities, unexpected items, weird moves. A stupid fast Togekiss. Stupid yes. fast Togekiss. <laughs> or, you know, my, my Umbreon that runs Confuse Ray. Nobody runs Confuse Ray on Umbreons, but I love to do it just because it's weird and people don't expect it. And if you're just going to keep trying to win at Pokemon, you're, you're never going to have those kind of thoughts and you're never going to want to do those kind of things. Legit. Team strategy is where it's at. you got to build a team that works for you. The people, like you said, that just copy and paste, they're doing what everybody else does, and it it's boring. Mm-hmm. It's really boring seeing a scissor and a feral thorn on every single team you're going to fight. I want to see Richard's Sableye come in, <laughs> and I want it to do some weird stuff and make the opponent cry, not even knowing what's happening. But that's what I like. That's what's beautiful about this game. It really, really is. I guess, and you know, the thing is that it's not its not even just action replays anymore. I mean, it used to be, you know, you had Pokesave and you had action replays. But now, 
anyone with internet access can hack Pokemon thanks to DNS servers. Mm-hmm. Because with the DNS server, all you have to do is change up the DNS on your uh, on your DS, and suddenly you're using Nintendo's Wi-Fi to hook up to someone's server and pull perfect Pokemon down off the internet, essentially. So it's not even just like hackers used to have to put time and money into actually hacking Pokemon. Now it's just a free-for-all. And it's it's harder to tell when Pokemon have come from a DNS server. Because when people hack Pokemon, they're in weird Pokeballs all the time. But when they come from a DNS server, they're oftentimes not. In the From the DNS server, though, are they from an original trainer? Usually, yeah. But, you know, then, you know, people can pull the, well, I got, tra- I tra- I got it traded to me. Yeah, but I am proud to be able to throw out a team. Trainer Josh. Trainer Josh. Trainer Josh. All six of them all the way through. Yeah, Absolutely. That's the way it should be. Fortunately, though, for us, a lot of it's super easy to determine what a lot of these hacked Pokemon are simply because people get stupid and they make them all shiny. And it's like, <laughs> oh, so you're telling me that you got a shiny Zekrom from somebody in a legit trade from like overseas or yeah, I'm going to uh, call nonsense on that one. And, and he asked for a Bidoof, by the way. That's what he wanted in trade for. Yeah, a level one Bidoof. <laughs> I traded a level one Bidoof for a level one hundred shiny Zekron that cannot exist. That's so ridiculous. And you know, it's not even just like shinies. I mean, shinies is obviously something that you have to watch out for in and of itself, especially if the shinies like got really, really good stats. Oh, except for Josh's shinies. Those are pretty much all legit. Mine are le- oh, pretty much all legit. Mine are all legit. No, like like pretty much all legit. Like pretty much, they've even got like the bright natures and IVs and stuff like no. that. Typically, a lot of that them was do. fourth gen, fourth gen, and being able to chain soft reset, soft oh, reset or was that for legendaries. Yeah, yeah, you could you could chain for them in fourth gen too. You could chain for them, yes. But a lot of what I did was I'd get the right nature. And I would save before picking up the egg back before they changed the mechanics of breeding. Oh, yeah, okay. And I'd run around and hatch a shiny egg, and then I'd be able to keep changing it to make sure that it had the right stats. Very nice. Which was nice for shinies then. That's pretty sweet. But, you know, even without looking at shiny Pokemon, lots of hackers now don't pay attention to the balls they put their Pokemon in. Yep. And, you know... If you if you've got it like if a Pokemon pops out in a, and you can tell when you're battling because the the animation is different and after battling so many people that actually legitimately breed Pokemon you get so used to seeing the regular Pokeball animation that when something else happens it's super obvious. So when a Pokemon pops out of a Master Ball or a Dive Ball or a Cherish Ball or something like that they're obviously not legitimate Pokemon. Oh, so you're telling me that you caught that love disc in a Master Ball. <laughs> Who uses With- love disc in competitive play? Even even hackers don't like love disc. <laughs> I'm totally going to make a love disc for competitive play. You just watch. Love disc gets no love. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I guess, we've, we've kind of wrapped up our discussion on why we hate hackers and why hackers are terrible people. And But we could all go on for another 45 minutes. I yeah, we, we really probably could, but we should probably head to something a little bit lighter, a little bit happier, and we've got a micro Pokemon spotlight coming up. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you 
Tonight's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 343, Crawdont. Crawdont is known as the rogue Pokemon, and he evolves from Corphish. These large red crustacean Pokemon are very powerful and violent. They often wildly flail their pinchers in a show of territoriality. They may use their powerful pinchers to throw other Pokemon out of their pond. Naturally aggressive, Crawdont truly loves to battle. Older Crawdont proudly bear the scars of countless battles. Crawdont is actually based on a real-life animal called the Red Swamp Crayfish. Crawdont has been featured on eight TCG cards, none of which are currently legal. This dual dark and water type Pokemon sadly sits in the NU tier, mostly due to its incredibly low base speed. Crawdont has access to three abilities, Hypercutter, Shell Armor, and in the Dream World, Adaptability. Crawdont is actually the only dual-type Pokemon with access to adaptability, letting him make doubly good use of it. Crawdont's move pool is fairly limited, but he has access to one very special move, Crab Hammer. Only four Pokemon can learn Crab Hammer, who are Corphish, Crawdont, Krabby, and Kingler. For a full look at video game strategy using Crawdont, check out my post on the Pokedex Project. That's thepokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. Feel free to drop us a review on iTunes, and if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you could email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. Also, check us out on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing Note Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org. All original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Natil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. 